dancing crew. Trip for two. Nail the final interview. Game with Doug. Brand new mug. Come here, kid. Give me a hug. The more you want to do, the more we want to do. Boosters designed for COVID-19 variants are now available. If you've had your primary series, schedule an updated COVID-19 booster appointment as soon as you're eligible. Sponsored by Pfizer and BioNTech. Like, I remember my mom saying that, you know, when she was at church and I was in her belly, a man stopped by her and said, he's going to travel the world and heal people, right? And my mom said that to me from, like, middle of high school. Oh, wow. So that's always been in the back of my head, right? Of, like, oh, someone already told my mom that I'm going to, like, be healing people. It's actually interesting just because, like, you know, I think those are the, sub the subconscious seeds that are planted in us that did influence my decision to go into what I perceive as a more noble profession, right? This idea of the white coat and, you know, being seen as a doctor. I knew it wasn't the money. The goal wasn't money for that. Do not become a doctor if you're trying to make money. Um, <laughs> but I knew that it was like, wow, like I would be there. I I, I made it. I, I, I would have made it if I can get there. And taking a step back, what I was going to say when I said it was interesting was that you know, that church example, I think in hindsight, I look at it, I kind of laugh about it. But it's interesting because recently when I told my mom I wasn't going to, you know, be pursuing med school, um, she said, she's like, you know, at the end of the day, you're still doing what I always knew you were going to do. You may not be like physically traveling to heal people, but you're helping people heal around the world. Mi gente, dímelo, dímelo, what's good? Welcome to another episode of the Quien Tu Eres podcast brought to you by Plural. Now, on this podcast, our mission is to redefine professionalism. It feels like many of us have been trained to believe that who we are authentically, naturally, is considered unprofessional. So every week we have a new guest join us for a very candid conversation around the conflict that they've experienced between professionalism and authenticity. A lot of these stories end up going untold. And if they are told, they're often told anonymously. Often our guests for the first time ever are sharing these experiences publicly. And I think this level of vulnerability and transparency is the reason why this podcast is in the top 2% of all podcasts globally. That said, we wouldn't be here without you. So thank you again for listening. Speaking of guests, the clip that you heard in the intro is with this week's guest, Jorge Alvarez. Jorge is a creator, advocate, and social impact strategist. He helps to destigmatize mental health and encourages challenging conversations across various social media platforms, including TikTok. He creates content that cultivates a space for collective reflection, unlearning limiting beliefs, and breaking generational cycles. Through sharing his lived experience as a Latinx man, he sparks dialogue that is both vulnerable and thought-provoking. I highly recommend following him on all social media platforms. There's a link in the show notes where you can go to his website and his various social media handles. His videos are often going viral because, let's face it, they're pretty relatable. Now that you know a little bit more about our guest, let's get into this dope conversation that y'all are not going to want to miss. Authenticity to me is owning your story. It's honoring your origins and all the ups and downs from then until where you're at now, who made you you? Honoring your origins. Tell me mm -hmm. about those origins. Like when I hear the word origins, it automatically brings me to like, damn, where's my family from? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, I think like for a lot of black and brown folks, we grow up oftentimes, you know, being really frustrated about the way that we grew up and the things that we had or didn't have. And, 
you know, like the loopholes that we had to go through and the things that we saw our parents go through. And I know it's really easy to, for a lot of folks to not want to replicate that and want to get away from that. But I think it's really important that no matter where you're at in your journey to honor where it is that you came from and honor those experiences along the way, because they really shape you into who you are and you wouldn't be who you are and where you're at without all of them. It's kind of like the movie, everything, everywhere, all at once. I don't know if you saw it, but it's a yeah. Great okay. Movie. Amazing movie. Um, you know, I, I love how they show, you know, how with every micro decision, there's going to be like a vastly different outcome is essentially how they paint it. Um, you know, some similar outcomes, but, vastly different in a lot of ways. And so I like to think oftentimes when I'm like practicing gratitude uh, to remember that like I, although I may have been frustrated about the situation or depressed at this point in my life, like I am here for a reason and all of those ups and downs are part of that. And so just to be grateful for myself, right? And for yourselves for like getting through that and, and, and you know, continuing to push on through your own journey, whatever that looks like. Oh, tell me about one of those moments where you thought about you were like yo i was really down but now i'm really thankful that one of those things happened yeah so not directly related to professionalism here but um for me you know i finished undergrad january 22 technically um i did an extra semester and so for me when i look back at undergrad i kind of get frustrated at myself because i sacrificed so much through undergrad to study and to do summer classes and winter classes because at the time I was pre-med, I thought I was going to be in med school. Um, or I thought that was a goal. And I look back and I'm like, dang, Jorge, like you could have probably been so much further in your creative career or in your whatever career path I'm on now, had I not sacrificed those four and a half years like in the books, right? But at the same time, you know, looking back, I'm like, okay, well, all those experiences and you know, me feeling really low and depressed my first year was actually the catalyst to where I'm at now. And, and so honoring you, that. Why were you ahead. so depressed in that first year too? Yeah, yeah. So in my first year, it was definitely just the fact that, you know, I was, um, I had just graduated. My parents were going through their thing. I was going through a lot of different things personally in my last relationship. Um, and, you know, I was a first gen Latino student on my college campus of, I went to Rutgers. So Rutgers has over like, I think almost 20K undergrads and grads. I think actually it's more than 30K. It's a huge, huge campus. So it was really easy to feel alone and feel really lost. So like that was one of the biggest reasons why I felt, you know, as low as I did and experienced depression, quite frankly. So yeah. That's something that I think a lot of people relate to. But it's it's fascinating to me that like you just graduated college. Like you carry yourself as such a... And, just just like a, a mature older person i mean even mm. even the the words i use like depression like i didn't know what that was at your age how did you how did you like how did, how did you even know to to identify the fact that you were going through some of these feelings at that age first thank you and i i'd say that you know again when when people say that to me i think it's important for me to check myself and realize like it's because of all these different experiences that have pushed me to learn, you know, not the greatest experiences. And so again, to my earlier point, on one hand, it's easy to be like, dang, well, I wish I didn't have those experiences. And I wish that I wasn't, didn't have to get pushed to that limit to then learn about all these things and get comfortable with this language. But, you know, I am grateful for everything that made me who, who I am and that led me here. And um, I say for me, that's what it was. It was almost out of desperation, like not having a choice but to learn and but to familiarize myself with mental health. And it wasn't just 
me wanting to learn about it and me having to learn about it. It was also me recognizing that I wanted to make sure like no one else like us um, had that experience. And so in order for me to do that, I had to also understand it and know how to talk about it. And this was like five years ago at this point. So it's been a while, but that was definitely, those were the two things that really pushed me to, you know, learn more about the language, become more comfortable with it, have these conversations with folks, even if it was a little bit odd in the beginning. Yeah, it even, wasn't easy. It was, it was strange for sure. Even as you were like doing this studying, if you will, like outside mm -hmm. of the courses that, that you were learning about, right. you were going through these experiences. Like, did you share any of these insights with people? Did you share any of these feelings? Did anyone else know sort of like what you were going through? Definitely not. Um, you know, looking back, there were a few folks who I think I tried to be vulnerable with, but, you know, even then what being vulnerable looked like was me saying I was stressed right? I was sad. I'm exhausted. Any, any word but depression. And it's interesting because I compare that moment five years ago when I was an undergrad to when I started my um, co-op and when I started my internship at Merck, where looking back, this was, I, I ended in February, but looking back, I, especially from, I'd say October 21 to December or to February 22, was also experiencing depression. And despite having, you know, taken the time to learn a lot more about it since those past, like those five years ago, fast forward, I was back in this place where I didn't realize I was depressed during those months until I looked back and I was like, oh, wait, I was kind of feeling not the greatest. Um, and so I, I bring those two examples up in contrast, just because I think that no matter where you're at in life, checking in with yourself and recognizing what it is you're actually experiencing takes work. And it takes, again, even, even for those the experts out there, like it takes time to sometimes process oh damn i'm not i'm not okay like i'm not feeling great but i definitely try to have those conversations then and you know fast forward i because i didn't catch on to what i was experiencing most recently i didn't have those conversations but i did after you know feel way more comfortable in in talking about it with like my partner with my friends on on podcasts just bringing up yeah i was depressed you know a couple of months ago um and it, it don't have the same shame around that as i would have had some time back yeah, I often like often think about these experiences, right? Like there you are, even depressed, going through a tough time. And I think when we don't share it with people, or if we don't share it and then get that confirmation that like, oh, I'm also going through this, obviously, like we feel alone, right? But when we feel alone, I think we often feel like we're the problem, mm, yes. you know? But when we hear someone else is going through things, you're like, oh, maybe there's like, a bigger situation here whether it's like capitalism professionalism the all the isms you know what i mean oh yeah mm -hmm. and like maybe it's just like school's really difficult like but that that like realization that you're not alone almost like humanizes the experience that you're going through right mm -hmm. but then it's also really difficult because in your experience like you start sharing some of these things but you the language that you hear doesn't quite qualify and symbolize and like capture exactly what you're feeling but mm -hmm. it's fascinating yeah. like i wonder if the people that were saying they were stressed and overwhelmed and all these things they didn't even have the right language to even communicate like how they were feeling no exactly and honestly i've seen that with a lot of my friends like since they graduated in uh, may 21 you know they all went into their first corporate jobs or whatever space the industry they're going into and you know I actually sat down with one of them and they recently, you know, were telling me about 
how in those earlier months they're like, yeah, man, I was definitely depressed when I started this job just because they felt so alone, right? They were like either the only person of color on the team or just weren't, didn't really feel like they had a space to, to talk about, you know, um, what they were like being challenged by in the space. And it's like, I look at them and I'm like, wow, it, it's, it's interesting that, you know, they are able to talk about this now because, and, and with me, of course, because I'm, I'm, I wonder who else they had the chance to share this with, yeah. not just while they were going through it, but even after the fact, you know, like, I feel like a lot of my friends think of Jorge as like, oh, I can talk about this with Jorge. But I, I wish that we were in a world where like, it wasn't just Jorge they could talk about it with, right? Mm. It was like their coworker, but you're right. It's not the reality. And in fact, a lot of folks don't recognize that what they're going through to begin with. They're just like, oh my God, I'm so stressed. I'm overwhelmed. Like, I, I just can't get through these deliverables or, or whatever it is that I'm working on. And it's just like, well, maybe you're burnt out. Maybe you're going through something else. Um, but it's just like the culture, like you said, because of all the isms, the culture is just like, keep going, keep going, keep going, especially in corporate. So, yeah. And before we get into corporate, I think it's, I think it's also fascinating, just like the expectations that our family has for us and the feedback that they give us, I think is very influential on how like we carry ourselves. So in that moment, you know, you're going through certain situations, you did share that you started sharing and, and being vulnerable to certain people. Like, I'm wondering, mm. was your family one of them? And if so, like, how, how were you received? Yeah. So, you know, I'd say most recently, no, they weren't. And that was because, again, I didn't realize until after. Like, I mentioned it to my mom, but it's not really something that we dive into. Um, but rewind even further, especially, you know, again, five years ago, 2017, um, I was really, 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 like, closed off. And it just was not something that I would ever really talk about because, you know, and I've said this so many times, like whenever I have a chance to talk about this, but growing up in my household, my mom was always like, you know, what, what, what's said in the house stays in the house. Like you don't journal because if someone finds that journal, you don't know what they'll do with it. Don't talk about what's going on in your head because people can use it against you. And so that was what I, like the narrative I got from my mom, from my dad, you know, he, he would cry when he saw a sad movie. He wasn't one of those guys who didn't cry, but crying is not the only, shouldn't be the only indication of men's, of men being able to display emotion. It should be having these conversations. That obviously wasn't something I was exposed to. And so when I was going through what I was, my parents were definitely not the first people that I thought about. And again, it's because part of the reason is I didn't know what I was going through. But then even when I did, it, they weren't the first people I was like, oh, I need, to, I need to call my mom and tell her, mommy, I'm depressed. Like my therapist mm -hmm. just told me I have anxiety. You know, it was more so like, okay, let me talk with my, you know, then partner um, who I met months after and let me talk with, you know, maybe this person who I just went on this trip with, you know, we had, we were able to cultivate some like closer conversation. We relate in some way. And so I feel like that, that ability to relate, whether that's through something like culture, academic path, career path, what have you, was mm -hmm. what allowed me to, you know, really nourish friendships and eventually have those conversations with folks. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. Even like all the advice that our family gives us is, is I think a lot like based in fear. But mm. I mean, my mom used to tell me like, because, you know, working, working in tech or whatever company you work at, like there's a lot of social gatherings, right? So the first time I told my mom that I went to like a happy hour with coworkers, she was like, don't do that ever again. They're, they're like, she thought they were, um, they were like set me up and sabotage me, like get me drunk mm -hmm. and then record a video of me and then like get me fired. Like she swore <laughs> yeah. the company was just like trying to like on this, on this secret plan to get me fired. I was like, mom, no, it doesn't work like that. But I guess we got to realize like 
y'all like our family have been through their own set of trauma and, and things. And like, maybe the advice that they give us is like, based on their fears and things that they experience. But mm -hmm. on top of that advice, like, I'm curious too, because there's this idea of you going to college and then like starting work. What sort of ideas or expectations did your family have for you as you in, went into your like your academic academic career? Like, is that one of the reasons you went into pre-med, for example? Before we get into that, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Gentueras is supported by First Republic Bank. Your hard work is paying off. That's why it's time to start working with a financial partner who will always have your back. At First Republic, you'll have access to your own personal banker who knows you by name and is prepared to support your financial needs. Learn how personalized banking can make a difference for you and your family at firstrepublic.com. Member FDIC equal housing lender. This episode of the Gintuetas podcast is sponsored by McDonald's. Since 1985, McDonald's has given over $33 million in scholarships. You can win one of 30 scholarships available and win a scholarship of up to $100,000. This year, McDonald's is giving away $500,000 in scholarships. Since 1985, Hased has helped aspiring Latino students achieve their dreams of going to college. But despite students' unwavering desire for progress, they still feel lost and powerless, making the need for support greater than ever. And that means it's time to hacer more. Students can apply to McDonald's Hacer National Scholarship and go further like Katia in Chazareta. To apply to the McDonald's Hacer National Scholarship, visit mcdonalds.com slash hacer. That is H-A-C-E-R. Looking back, it was definitely a subconscious yes. Like on the surface, I was like, no, no, no. I took a lot of time to reflect. Um, and this is in the context of pursuing the pre-med path to ultimately get to med school. I was like, no, it's not because of anything my parents said, because I really just want to serve people, help people, specifically in the psych psychiatric field at, at one point. But when I think deep down, Definitely. Like, I remember my mom saying that, you know, when she was at church and I was in her belly, a man stopped by her and said, he's going to travel the world and heal people. Right. And then my mom said that to me from like middle of high school. Oh, wow. So that's always been in the back of my head. Right. Of like, oh, someone already told my mom that I'm going to like be healing people. It's actually interesting just because like, you know, I think those are the, sub the subconscious seeds that are planted in us that did influence my decision to go into what I perceive as a more noble profession, right? This idea of the white coat and, you know, being seen as a doctor. I knew it wasn't the money. The goal wasn't money for that. Do not become a doctor if you're trying to make money. Um, <laughs> but I knew that it was like, wow, like I would be there. I I, I made it. I, I, I would have made it if I can get there. And taking a step back, what I was going to say when I said it was interesting was that you know, that church example, I think in hindsight, I look at it, I kind of laugh about it. But it's interesting because recently when I told my mom I wasn't going to, you know, be pursuing med school, um, she said, she's like, you know, at the end of the day, you're still doing what I always knew you were going to do. You may not be like physically traveling to heal people, but you're helping people heal around the world. And I was like, oh, that hit. Wow. I was like, dang, that, that I appreciated that. So I guess to close this thought, it's my mom has never, you know, explicitly placed any expectation on me. And that's the one thing I'm very grateful. Neither has my dad. They've always been like, and this is something I, I definitely take, I don't take for granted. They definitely always encourage me to just do what makes me happy. As long as I'm, you know, working towards it and working hard towards it, just do what makes me happy. And that's, that's gone a long way too, as well. Yo, I got chills <laughs> when you said that, that your mom said that, like, 
still you're still healing people. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there you are, like, still in, in your academics. And, and then you did experience some sort of, uh, you did have corporate experience in, in the form of, like, co-ops and, and internships. Even when you started interviewing for some of those, like, what was sort of the thought process in going into it? Because there mm-hmm. you are, too, in, like, a, a school, which, like, most schools are, are mostly white. But this time, like, money's on the line. Your potential career's on the line. Did you think about, mm-hmm. like, hmm, do I need to change part of myself to be accepted? Like, how did you think about when you first started interviewing? Absolutely. I, that I think that I had to change myself. I, I like... I definitely did. So when I started to apply to internships and co-ops, it was, you know, as most of us, it was a place of, yes, how can I get a variation, a variation of experience in the healthcare industry at the time was my thought process. So that's why I chose to apply to pharma. But it was also, where's the money at? Because your boy's broke and I need to make money and I'm paying my mom's bills over here. So how can I, how can I do this? So that was kind of my thought process there. Um, And so when I was applying, you know, and then I saw, you know, obviously who I was being interviewed by, especially, which is two white men. I I remember like I had just gotten um, my second nose piercing, my second nose stud piercing. So I have, for those of you listening in, I have a stud on my right nostril, a hoop on my left, and then a septum. But at, at the time, I only had my left and right. And so I remember I was like, oh my gosh, well, I can't take out the left one. It's still healing. And at one point I was considering, I was like, okay, well, I should maybe take it out. I might just have to re-pierce it. And um, I actually did do that. What am I saying? I did do that. So it was still healing. And I was like, no, I need to take it out. Like, I can't risk. So I took out my left one, which was still healing. I took out my left one, which was okay. Um, And it actually, it actually got to the point where, you know, I also had, I also put on an outfit that literally was something I'll never wear in public. Like it was (laughs) this, this ugly button up that I just, you know, it was one of my old, one of my dad's old shirts that I usually wear open. Um, and then I put like a sweater over that. I'm like, first of all, I'm a big guy. That's not a comfortable fit for me, but it was virtual. So I was like, I got to do this. So I looked so preppy. I took out my piercings. Um, the curls were something I couldn't, oh, I actually also put my curls in a bun so that it wasn't visible. So I'm, I'm explaining all this because I definitely had that, that period where I was like, okay, in order to get a job at a place like this, I have to look not how I was presenting at that moment. And after I actually ended up having to go back to the piercer to get my left nostril re-pierced anyway, put the hoop back in. So after that, I was like, that's not worth it. Like, why did I do all of that? And, you know, I had my friends and my girlfriend who, you know, were like, who checked me a little. And I was like, yeah, like, I, I wouldn't want to work on a, at a place that wouldn't hire me for looking the way I'm looking right now. That was definitely an experience I had going into corporate, especially because it was such a new world for me. It wasn't a world that I had prepped for. It's not like mm-hmm. I was already in those spaces. So I think that's why the pressure was especially high, especially since again, like it was a money-making role that like you said, I, I really did want because it would have helped me a lot. Um, and it did, but yeah. That is fascinating. I'm still stuck on you with the bun. I've never seen you in a bun. It's been a while. It's been a while. last summer. <laughs> Last summer, I used to, was like the last time I would really wear it. Um, but then I started cutting my curls at a length that I couldn't do it. But yeah, when my hair was full length last summer, um, which was also when I hadn't been interviewing, I kind of would alternate. But yeah, I only would ever do it. Like the main time I would make sure to do it was definitely during interviews. Just also because like in order for my curls to look nice, I have to like wet them. And sometimes my yeah. hair would still be, still be wet before an interview. So it was just easier to like flick it up. 
but yeah. What what did it feel like when people that you were close to start calling you out? So I mean, first of all, when I say calling me out, it was like the most friendly thing. Like I was just no, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I, it was just like I told my friends and they were like, ah, oh, like yeah, you you know, you probably don't need to do all that. Like maybe one or two of them said that, but my girlfriend was the one who was more so like was like, do you want to work at a place that doesn't hire you for looking the way you look? And I was like, mm, you're right noted I had no confliction against that i was i internally that's also my core value that's how i think and feel but you know when when the pressure came on and i was like oh my gosh like, i can't risk not getting this well-paying job mm -hmm. i was like whoop and i just did things that now i definitely wouldn't do so yeah well it's interesting too because while you ended up getting an internship and that you ended up starting to this was at a time where i think it was like a hybrid so you were like in the office virtual as well but it was also a time where, like, if people were in the office, everyone was masking up. Mm -hmm. So no one really saw, you couldn't really even see your nose, right? Like, what were, you, what were you doing at that point? So it was actually when masking was just lifted. Oh. Um, yeah. So at least in the office I was in. And so I would actually keep my mask on um, even when everyone else in the room had their masks off. Uh, not because I was being extra careful. Everyone there was tested, vaccinated, but I would do it because that's when I actually did have my septum. Um, so that was like, wait, I, being in a corporate setting with all these white, mostly actually white European, because um, it was like the global exec office. Like, so the culture is very different already there as well. Um, and they were all at least like 45 years old. Like no one was younger than that. No one was definitely younger than 30 um, I was like, okay, I definitely need to keep my mask on because it just, this would be a lot. This would be a, a whole thing. And I just didn't want, you know, my work or my presence to be perceived as, as other, as, you know, a lot of us here listening can relate to. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. even you referencing it as a mask, it's kind of like, wait, are you talking about the literal one or the, you know, the figurative one? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, the literal, that's, yeah. that's deep, man. It's, it's interesting too. Cause, uh, cause it's at the same time, like you were doing this internship, I believe is when you started making content as well. Mm -hmm. um, and really started like doubling down, not only just making it, but like a lot of your content started going viral. Mm -hmm. Like, what was that duality of just like, you have this corporate job where you're like literally wearing a mask to like hide, you know, your, your piercings, et cetera. Yet you're on TikTok going viral, showing off the curls, talking about some like deep vulnerable things that at one point you didn't even want to share with the people closest to you. Mm -hmm. So I'll start with, because we just left off on the whole corporate, you know, my experience in corporate peace. I, I'd say that the, mo the first thing that comes to mind is like you said, there is, there was such a strong duality and like contrast because on TikTok, I'd get hella compliments on my curls, on my piercings, you know, so I, I felt good being myself. Like I was just be like, I just talked to the camera about what I learned in therapy two weeks ago and I was excited and I was myself. And that was really like really cool and very validating. Um, whereas again, in the office, it was just not like that. And I remember I would like record TikToks like before I'd go into the office too. And it was like such, such a different like switch, right? That I turn on and off. And so it was challenging, I'd say, aside from just like feeling and looking different in the spaces, I think the most challenging part was I started to recognize that my passion was not at all what I was doing in that 
office um or when i was working from home right like i i was recording my tiktoks and i would feel such excitement and joy and fulfillment and such a strong sense of community and then i go to the office and it was just like crickets and i was just by myself and honestly i think that duality was what really contributed to the pivot that i've made with my career as well mm. it made me realize that okay maybe pursuing medicine isn't what i want to do as of right now at the time i was thinking um but i definitely don't want to be in an office like this and then I realized I wanted to do something where I could engage in my creativity, where I could just be myself. And I, there was a lot of, I think, reflections that came out of that. But those are some of them that, you know, come to mind now. But I'm curious at work, though, right? And, mm -hmm. and we'll get deeper into the content. At work, like you were going through this experience where, you know, you were masking up on purpose to like hide certain things. At some point, did you take that off, though? I would. Yes, I would. However, I would flip up my septum. So when I would when I would take off my mask, I was like, maybe three would be too much for them. So maybe the two would look okay. So for those of you who don't know, like the septum, when it's like the horseshoe looking piercing with the two like balls at the end, you can just flip it up and you can't even tell like you have a septum piercing. A lot of people do that to hide it from their parents. It's kind of funny. Um, but I was doing that to hide it from my coworkers and my boss. And so... You know, of course, I was more self-conscious and it was definitely something in my mind. Like I would be very like straight and just stern because I wouldn't want to like look around. And, you know, if I look at someone, they're going to see both. But if I'm just looking straight or down on my laptop, they'll see like the one. So that was definitely something on my mind and something that I did do. But it was uh, it was with that emotional, I guess, the unnecessary emotional inner turmoil that I was experiencing at the time. Yeah. Did anyone say anything, though, as far as like probably shouldn't wear that here? Probably shouldn't do this and this and that here no not at all not at all it was just again being in that space where everyone was so much older than me mm -hmm. and everyone was such part of different cultures um cultures that i didn't understand again european yeah. backgrounds it was just like it felt like an unspoken rule you know everyone literally came in you know their suits and their you know different colored slacks on occasion but that was the most, that was the most color I saw in that space, aside from me. Um, yeah. yeah. Most of us, like, create a story or an idea in our head around what will be accepted or not. And yeah. it's it's often not a result of people telling us that we shouldn't do it. It's just, like, us walking into an environment and then just looking around and seeing what people are doing. And mm -hmm. we're like, all right, well, like, no one has curly hair here. I, I'm curly hair is not safe. Like that's the signals that we get back. Right. But what if you walk into that same environment and a few people have curly hair, the signal is probably like, Oh shit, maybe it's safe to wear curly hair here. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? But like, yeah. it's scary to be like that first person, let's call it, or like mm -hmm. that only person. Right. Cause then that's when people start being almost like surprised or like, Oh, this person's the only one here with that like piercing the hair, the whatever it is. But it's it's also fascinating too, like you, this idea of like you starting to create content and like of course people are gonna resonate with like what you're talking about, but they're also just like complimenting you on things that you didn't even expect. You were like, Oh, I you like my you like my hair? Like, oh, I didn't even I didn't even know that's what people were gonna talk about. It, no, it, exactly. it, Before we get into that, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. This episode of the Kintuetis podcast is sponsored by Coca-Cola. We are this far into the year already. Time has just flown by so quickly that I can't even keep up. And as we get into these later months of the year, a few things come to mind. I live in New York, so 
the drop in temperature is something that I've had to come to terms with. With the decrease in temperature brings an increase in layers. And the temperature changes, the leaves falling, all of that really reminds me that the holidays are coming. And for me, the holidays represent a time to reconnect with loved ones, with family, friends. Whether I'm celebrating the holidays in the Dominican Republic or here in the United States, one thing has always remained present, Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola pairs perfectly with every holiday get-together. Enjoy the real magic of the season by surrounding yourself with good friends and family. Delicious food and, of course, ice-cold Coke. It makes me think about, oh, man, I forget this guest's name, but she put up a video of her talking about her quitting uh, mm -hmm. her job. Or, like, she, I think she got, like, fired recently or something like that. And in the video, she has, like, a tank top on, but her whole sleeve is showing. Mm -hmm. And then, literally, her intention was to, like, raise awareness for, like, people quitting and job situations. But, like, literally every single comment was talking about her sleeve. And she's like, of course. Damn, really are people like gravitating towards the sleeve thing. Maybe I should like always wear a tank top or something like that. But like mm -hmm. for the first time ever, although she's disappointed she didn't get the comment she wanted, she did feel seen because she's been hiding that sleeve for so long. Mm -hmm. So it, it was really interesting, like her starting to just like create a community of people that like just accepted her. Like it was one of the first times where she felt accepted herself. Oh, definitely. And it's also sad because like, you know, I also have friends who literally are like, oh, I'll get a tattoo when I get to this point in my career like you're postponing things that you're looking forward to because of your nine to five which is supposed to supplement the things you really want to do and the experiences you want to have the things you want to buy yourself and, and do to your body it shouldn't be a timeline for when you can and can't do things and so to that example that you brought up it's like for the folks who, who do have their you know who are expressing themselves however they are it's like i get that i get that it's like it's scary to to show that part of yourself but it's so important. And that's why I love everything you're doing with redefining professionalism, because and I said this to you when we first connected, I think it was like last October, um, like having these conversations, the same way we talk about breaking cycles, because in, in these are very much interconnected, are so important, because once you start having those conversations and you start seeing folks who look like us, who are showing up like their authentic selves with whatever jewelry, hair color, whatever that is, whatever style, like you realize to your earlier point that it is okay and that there are so many more of us out there. And it's just like, if we just all lean into it, we won't feel this way, but it's obviously, again, working through a lot of those subconscious um, and internalized feelings and our own implicit biases towards ourselves. A hundred percent. But it's got to be a little scary. It's got to be a little okay. nerve wracking mm -hmm. and anxiety inducing this idea of like you just graduating college you were on this path of landing a, a, a internship that people would probably kill for. Mm. And you said, you know what, this isn't fun. It's not necessarily like filling my cup. I'm going to focus on this other thing. Right. But, mm. you, you, but you're like putting so many traditional potential career paths aside to like mm. create your own. Like, tell me a little bit about the emotions that are going through and some of the the thoughts that come by. Cause I just quit my job. And the story I tell myself is like, fuck, what if I want to go back to corporate? Like, are they going to want me? Mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I feel that. Okay. So I'd say <laughs> first with when, when I, when I was realizing that I didn't want to pursue medicine at that point, it was so scary for me. I just didn't want to pursue it period. That's why I keep saying at that point, cause that's genuinely how I thought about it. I was like, Oh, for now, maybe in five years, three years, 
you know, I'll go back. But I, it was just so hard to let go of that, not only because of the time and energy I put into it, but also just because it was truly deep down, I think what I thought I really wanted to do. But as with time in life, when you have those new experiences, you realize, oh, wait, I'm good at this, or I really enjoy this too. And that's kind of where the conflict came out of uh, last summer when I was letting go of medicine, figuring out what my next job or research role was going to look like, and then creating came up. And I'd say like, since then, it has been scary. I felt I've dealt with a lot of inner conflict and false leads. I'm basically to explain that it's like, I have had periods of time where I'm like, oh, maybe I do want to go into tech, you know, because I'll think about, I, I'll literally think about folks like you. And I'll be like, okay, Babel was, you know, able to, after working, you know, at, at TikTok and Facebook, now he's able to just do his own thing because he was able to save up and invest. Blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, wait, but the reason why he did that was because he didn't feel seen in the space. He was over that space. So it's like, do I want to go down that road? And I was like, you know what? Maybe I should look at other paths. So it's like seeing folks like you, like me, kind of share this has really helped my own inner conflict and in, in the narrative I've been telling myself about what I should and shouldn't be doing next. And so I think that's been really exciting. And then when I look at the other side of, of what a lot of folks like you um, and I are doing now, it's like, oh, well, this person quit, they recognize their worth. And it's not going to be easy. And it maybe hasn't been easy, but they're thriving, like they're getting art like press on them, their company is growing, their podcast is, is hitting like, and for me that it makes me realize that, okay, like it, it's going to be challenging. And this is, you know, this comes with privilege to say, but it's something that I want to figure out when I say it's something I mean, understanding how I can be more creative and create my own path forward is something that it's, it's worth figuring out. And so that I think is what's helped me. But it's also been like you said, really scary, because I've gone through a lot of those, especially traditional post-grad thoughts where you're like, what's going to happen? Like, what do I want to do with my life? What's the most strategic first move? Um, what if I don't, you know, do something that's related to my degree? Will it, will I not be able to turn back? Will I have to get a master's at some point to pivot? So that's been a lot of the things that have played out. But again, I think just looking around and leaning and it's, this is not, it's, it might sound cliche to some, but for me personally, like leaning on community, not by explicitly going to them and talking to them about this, but by just kind of seeing what they've been creating for themselves and what life they're trying to lead has really helped me there. Yeah, it, it's interesting, even you referencing like me or just other people you've spoken to, you're like, oh shit, maybe I should go into tech. Cause I mean, there's like, there's clout in saying you work at like whatever company, there's like, oh my God, I will I could finally talk about me at church about, a company that like she knows about, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's it's just easy in a conversation. Like I remember even going on dates. I used to be excited to tell people that I worked at Facebook. I'll be mm -hmm. honest right now. I'm not excited to tell people that I run my own business. I'm insecure mm -hmm. as fuck about it. It takes my so friend, much more explaining too sometimes. Yeah. I mean, my friend who literally quit his job and now he's streaming on Twitch playing video games. He's making more money than he was at his other job. But there's insecurity in being like, yeah, I play video games for a living. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah oh, my definitely. God. Like, there, there's so much attachment and, like, value that we place on titles, traditional titles. Mm -hmm. And and letting go of that and being like, yes, I work for myself and I'm a, I'm a full-time, you know, writer, producer, content creator, whatever title you want to throw in it. That's tough. Oh, it's been tough. I, I very much agree with that. Like... 
when people have been asking me, you and know, what you're am the I mental, doing? And you're the mental health person. You're the one that talks about this stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And that's why it's like, for me, it's, it's always interesting because when people are like, oh, what are you doing? I'm like, you know, I, I'm creating, but it, like, I'm not your traditional influencer. I'm, I, I talk about mental health and things. Like, I'm like, where, how does my things. elevator pitch now? Yeah. And I'm like, things. what do I, what do I say? Or like, you know, I, I want to go into social impact, you know, and they're like, what's that? I'm like, you know, building campaigns. Oh, like how, like what campaign? I'm like, I, it's like, I'm still learning how to develop that new language um, for sure. And it's, I'd say that that also comes with some anxiety, right? Like owning the fact that you've made a pivot is one thing because I think no matter how excited we are about it, there's always those fears, those like subconscious fears that, and those anxieties that we definitely experience and so when someone, I think, asks us, oh, what are you doing? Without us even realizing it, it brings those up, right? It, we might have an elevator pitch, but it's also like it brings up those same fears that we've been grappling with or those, you know, the things that have been making us nervous about our journeys. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's definitely a process. And it's a mindset shift that takes time. And I'm very much with you figuring that out with, with like, what do I call this path? And I'm, I'm you know, I'm gradually understanding whatever the spaces that I'm in and, and getting the language for it. But I feel like when I, when I talk to my friends who are more traditional paths and they're like, yeah, you know, I work at so-and-so doing consulting. I work with clients and this is what my day-to-day -day looks like. And they're like, Oh, what does your day-to-day -day look like? I'm like, well, it's, and it's, it should be exciting, right. To be like, mm -hmm. I create my own schedule. I have meetings if yeah. I want, I record podcast interviews if I want. Mm -hmm. um, but then it's also like, it's, it's just it's just nerve-wracking like I, yeah. I can't really put the words there but yeah no I, I need my own elevator pitch i remember pitching it why am i saying pitching it i remember talking to somebody about like what i do and i was yeah, like yeah. damn that's not salesy enough like mm -hmm. i i remember looking back and being like i need more industry buzzwords to make this sound more exciting like mm -hmm. i wasn't even trying to like explain it i was more so trying to sell it to people where like they mm -hmm. weren't even customers i just wanted them to buy into the vision or the idea that I had a cool life. You know what I mean? You know, now that you say that without you realizing, I'm like, I have done a similar thing. I'm like, I've literally sat down and I looked at my bio and I'll have straightforward yeah. bio, but I'm like, yeah. how can I make it sound, you know, more profound? Oh, Jorge <laughs> provokes thought. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I'm like, but I, I just talk about my mental health. I talk about what I learned in therapy. Yeah. Um, and I'm learning to kind of like, you know, tailor that to be more personable rather than like, so buzzy but definitely and it's also being a solo solo entrepreneur whatever you want to call us creator um it's also like it's interesting because we do need to develop that language right you know when we're talking to potential sponsors and all that but it's also important to realize that we don't need to carry that as like a, a paper in our pockets and tell everyone that story you can I, I should be able to say i'm a mental health advocate i create content as an extension of that and I think I want to go into social impact without having to be like, you know, I create inspiring content that provokes thought and really, yeah, I mean, it does do that maybe, but we don't need all that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And it just makes us man. feel better. It just makes us feel better. That's why we do all that as well sometimes when it comes to like our friends and social circles. It does. Because mm -hmm. what used to make me feel better was that corporate title. Now mm -hmm. I'm finding the substitute with adjectives around mm -hmm. like trying to talk about my career. It's interesting that even like talking about your career, like here you are sort of like not beholden to like traditional corporate standards of what like professionalism professionalism looks like on what appearance looks like. But here you are building a personal brand for yourself. And now you're getting invited to do a bunch of dope shit. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, you were at the White House. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. how do you, how, what was going through your mind when you were like, what, how am I going to look? Like, were you, did you think back mm-hmm. to like that first interview or were you more comfortable in just like how you are now? You were like, how is my picture going to look next to, next to President Biden? Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I'd say that um, since December 21, I have felt way more confident in showing up how I look and showing up how I want to look. Um, and again, that's been through going through those those experiences where I struggled in even recognizing the changes I was doing to look like I fit in. Um, but I think, again, seeing your content and seeing this conversation has really helped. And so fast forward to you know this past May when I did speak at the White House, um, I did not have nearly the same anxiety or fear. And I can honestly own that. So like, shout out to you and everyone who's having these conversations because it's truly helped me um, and made me feel like I can be myself. And also what helped was that a lot of the other folks there, because there was 30 of us, and especially the other men, they too showed up like their authentic selves. Like my one friend, he had a he had his whole fro going. He's from South Bronx. So he was rocking his like 80s fashion look with like his fro. Um, my other friend, he had his curls out with his beard. And apparently I had found out that it was one of his first times like wearing his curls out on the stage. Wow. And so I think what made that a big deal for me was like, or what made it easier for me, sorry, was that we were, I was able to look around the room and be like, no, nah, we're going to sit on this stage in the White House and own this. Like, we're going to show up as we are. And that was without even saying words to each other. But I think for me, and I'd say that other folks definitely resonated in their own way. It was, again, that sense of community, right? Like we weren't alone. So it's like to our earlier point where we were like, oh, you know, when you don't see it, it's like a red flag. And that's like a subconscious thing. Well, when you do see it, it's also a sense of pride. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, it was exciting for me. And I was like, no, I'm going to go on stage with my my double piercings. I, I, I didn't have my set them at the time because I got bored of it. But I was like, I'm going to go on stage with my, my double piercings and my curls. And and I did. And I look back at, the, at that video and I'm like, wow, I look good on that stage. I look great. I added some sasson on that in that White House. Um, that's very needed. So it was it was a really nice, I think, liberating moment for me, for sure. Yes. And it almost normalizes whatever we want. Mm-hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. when you're not alone on that stage, it's not necessarily a red flag. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you don't stand out. If anything, all of y'all blend in together. I mm-hmm. love that. And to, to close, man, I love where you are sort of like in this journey, but it's not over. Obviously, like we're all continuing to work on ourselves. What inspires you or makes you feel empowered to continue being your most authentic self? It's funny because I was going to answer that without even you asking the question. I would say when I'm on stages now, I think about all of the folks younger than me and all of the like younger Jorge's past Jorge's who needed to see me on stage, not just, and when I say this, I don't mean just because of the conversations I'm having. That is huge. That's what I always own. But now I'm realizing it's so much more than that. It's also doing it, showing up authentically is so critical for me because it's also in my appearance. It's also just like in my own, in my full presence. And what that means to me is like, it's not just for me, but it's for my community. It's for specifically the, the younger community behind me who needs to see role models like us having these conversations. And think about it, it's a domino effect. Like the same way that seeing you having these conversations when I did, when I was still in that internship really helped me. 
And now it's like a trickle down. Now I'm showing up my full self and the people younger than me are going to see me on that stage or on stages and be like, wow, okay. You know, they're not, they're, their first thought may not be like, oh, he has curls and piercings. They may just see themselves subcon and that's sub that subconscious internalized moment is all they need to hopefully show up as themselves as well with time of course and, and that support so yeah i do it for myself my community and i think it's important to continue to to lean into that no matter what the opportunity is me hand there that wraps up this week's episode of the kim duetas podcast if you enjoyed this episode please do us a favor leave us a rating and a review it just helps us in the algorithm to ensure that these stories get heard by as many people as possible scaling these stories and experiences is the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism thank you and see you next week